You're on the Plants Grow Here podcast. I'm Daniel Fuller. Come along with me as we enter a hidden world of deep horticultural, ecological and landscape gardening knowledge with featured experts, industry professionals and enthusiasts. Well, that's another year done. In some ways, 2022 wasn't an easy year. We had major flooding around the country, which was hard on a lot of people. We're still in a skills shortage crisis, and many businesses never fully recovered after the lockdowns. And a ton of us still haven't figured out what we want to do with our lives after realising we want more from life in a post-COVID world. But lots of good stuff happened in Aussie horticulture in 2022 as well. We had the return of events like the Melbourne International Flower and Garden Show, Landscaping Victoria's The Landscape Show, and the Australian Institute of Horticulture's annual conference and awards night after taking some time off during the pandemic. We also had 11 excellent issues of the Australian Horticulture, Nursery and Landscaping Print and Online magazine, Hort Journal Australia, who were sponsoring this episode. My mentor Karen Smith is the editor for the magazine, and today she's going to go through each issue and pick her highlights from regular writers of the magazine, such as myself. It's a celebration of our industry, and it's a great reminder of some of the interesting and diverse work submitted by writers actually working in the field. G'day Karen, how are you going? I'm really well actually, Daniel, and yourself? Really well, thank you. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. So... What is the first highlight that you'd like to bring to everybody's attention from the 2022 Hort Journal collection? Oh, man, that is such a difficult question because, as you know, with Hort Journal Australia, we have a lot of regular writers that write on different topics each month, but there's also, you know, we get the odd feature that somebody will submit something or I might request somebody write a particular article So they're so varied, like when we look at all the different articles, it's really hard to uh, pick out, like, for example, what was the best article is almost impossible to say because it's like you're comparing apples with oranges and considering the fact that we have such excellent writers all on different topics, um, just... I've just gone through um, the magazines for 2022 and just flipping through and and you almost forget what what had been in some of the earlier issues. Um, So it it was actually a really good exercise for me to look at that. So what I thought I would do is just flip back through each of the magazines and just pick out a highlight from each magazine. That works really well. And I'd like to point out as well, I don't think that we're going to do this in any order. Like it's not really like we can say one is the best article. This is really the editor's pick. Yeah. It's just that there is occasionally some articles that really, um, you know, strike a bit of a chord with you. Like, Mm. you know, for example, um, you know, it might be something on a particular topic that you personally feel passionate about. I mean, they're all great articles, but... So I'm actually, I've actually gone back to the December, January, which is 12 months ago. We have 11 issues a year and December, January is one. So the one that uh, covered this time of the year from December to January 22, so 21 to 22. And uh, there was certainly a couple of really good articles in there and one that really um, 
was lovely was written by Megan Hurst and Georgia Warren. So Megan Hurst, Dr. Megan Hurst is from the uh, Melbourne Botanic Gardens and Georgia Warren is a landscape architect. But between them, they, they, they've submitted an article called Botany Boot Camp and Overcoming Plant Blindness Combining with Getting Fit. And I, I really thought that was such a fabulous idea because botanic gardens do such a tremendous amount of work for the environment and conservation and, and that type of thing. So running a, a um, sessions called Botany Boot Camp, people would come along and uh, they're all given like a hand lens and they actually look at the finer details of plants. You know, it looks at the botany and um, and it's a way of get, getting fit because people, you know, spend a couple of hours walking through the gardens and, and it's a pretty fast pace, so I'm told. So I thought that was a really great article because it actually introduces people to botany and to horticulture and conservation more importantly. So that that was a really um, a really nice article. I thought that that sends a strong a strong message. Mm. And you actually interviewed Megan and uh, Georgia for episode ninety four last year. Botany Bootcamp: Mixing Exercise with Plant Appreciation. Yes, yes, and that was a great episode because I, I think pr- prior to that I'd done an interview with Megan on. Um, mm. Raising rarity. Yes, yes. So, so that was, um, you know, they're always um, they're very, very knowledgeable people doing a fabulous job. Hmm. So, then um, in the same issue, Gabrielle Stannis wrote an article on behalf of the Interior Plantscape Association, uh, which she did do for quite a few years but it was uh called the heading was post-covid a green star on the horizon for interior plantscapes and uh, so what that actually talked about was the green star rating which is um a tool that they use to rate the green within a building for example Mm. what we know as interior plantscapers adding um Plants to a building does a whole range of things, um, you know, absorbing the volatile organic compounds and that type of thing. But um, this tool, um, you know, helps, uh, has the ability to improve the air quality and it's recognised between uh, by the Green Building Council of Australia. So that was actually uh, in that same issue on on page 32. So I, I thought that was really interesting. Gabby's a, an excellent writer. She goes at, uh, and it makes a huge effort to do her research and interview the right people. In, in that particular one, she uh, interviewed the general manager from um, Ambius, Johan Hodgson. And Gabby's also another guest who's been on the show. I interviewed her for episode 79, Interior Plantscaping, Logistics and Maintenance for Indoor Landscapes. That's right. That was a, an excellent uh, interview. I remember that one well, actually. Mm, it was a great chat. Yeah. So what's next? What have we got? So we've got two from December and January, and I suppose now we're going to move on to the February issue. Is that right? That's correct. So uh, 
I'm looking at an article on page 40, also uh, representing the Botanic Gardens by Daniel Bishop, and it's called Go Slow for a Quick Pick-Me-Up. So once again, it's, um, it's an initiative that the Botanic Gardens have done. Um, and so when you, as you're walking through the Botanic Gardens, you'll see these little um, signs that say, go slow for a mow. And so it's it's encouraging people to just take their time walking through the gardens and and relaxing virtually and mm. getting their nature fix and calming themselves down. So I I kind of see these um, types of articles valuable because once again, it's getting the community involved. And if we get the community involved in horticulture, nature, we can, you know, it benefits everybody. You know, mm. it reduces people's stress levels and that type of thing. So they're designed to be a self-guided um, tour that people can just follow, you know, walk through the gardens and, and follow the instructions. Um, so I... I thought that was also a little highlight. Yeah, I like that message because, you know, I'm guilty of this especially. Like we all try and rush around to get to place, to place, to place, but that's not what gardens are for, is it? They're actually for slowing down. Yeah. And we can't rush a garden visit. Uh, yeah, exactly. And especially a botanic garden, they, they all have uh, something quite unique. My own, uh, the closest one to me is the Royal Botanic Gardens in Sydney and I, I went there recently actually and I don't know whether all the rains made a big difference but it, everything was looking so lush and beautiful and it gets a lot of traffic there because it's right near Circular Quay so tourists mm. come in and, and walk through it. So if we're, if we're sending that message out to people about immersing themselves in nature, taking the taken the time to walk through the gardens. Um, so those particular articles I particularly like, they're all they're all good, but they're they're also um, fairly easy to read and the message is is really mm. really very good. So those ones aren't too technical, they're very sort of easy to read and yeah. Yeah. Okay, so now let's move over. I'm going to move now onto the March edition. And interestingly, in the March edition, there is um, a great article by Michael Casey. So he's the past president of the Australian Institute of Horticulture. Um, but Michael uh, has his own landscape design and construction business, but he's heavily involved with green infrastructure so his article uh, titled Designing Green Spaces Benefits and Strengthens Communities. Um, so once again, it's, it's explaining why it's really important that we include that our designers work closely with developers, that we get the right mix and the right amount of um, green space within a design. And he explains why that's important for everybody, mm. you know, w what that does for people, you know, the uh, installation of large amounts of, of green space. So Michael has written quite a lot of articles throughout the year, but, but that was a good one right at the, at the start, being in March. And 
I could probably uh, pull out a heap from Michael and, and have the same feeling about all of them because I, I love the way he mm. writes and he's so very, very passionate about green infrastructure. He is. I really loved his article about the street trees. I think that was a bit more recent, that one. But, you know, I guess at this point we're starting to realise just how, um, I don't want to use the word incestuous, but, um, you know, all all of these horticulturists that you've mentioned, half of them have been on my show. So that's why, like, Michael Page is another one. Episode 118, what is green infrastructure? So, yeah, I guess that um, that, that's sort of one of the benefits of being a involved in the industry is that you can sort of get around and you meet the different people and you start meeting the same players over and over and over again, don't you? You sure do. Uh, Michael actually has, I'm jumping forward here, but Michael has another great article on green infrastructure in the July issue called The Greener the Street, The Greater the Asset. Yeah, that's the one I loved. Yeah. yeah. I didn't realise it was that long ago. Yeah. And when you think about it, like I know and I look at the uh, – you know, the more affluent postcodes of Sydney, I'm, I'm thinking of one particular suburb in Sydney's east and you drive down the main street where all the shops are and it's like it's like you're driving in a tunnel of, of tree canopy. Like it's mm. absolutely beautiful, the trees, mm. the street trees, canopy touch and you sort of drive through it. Mm. And, and yet when we go to our newer estates, no. <laughs> uh, newer areas, there's none of that. And, you know, people don't want to put a tree in because, goodness me, they might have to clean up a few leaves. But yeah. you cannot compare those suburbs when you look at the green space. So that's one thing Melbourne does really well, I have to say. A lot of our suburbs are the same thing tree canopies touching at the top. And even if there's a power line there, it doesn't matter. We'll still plant a tree under it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I remember going to a. a a conference early in the piece when I first started with Hort Journal, I think it was in Canberra in 2009, and there was a fellow there that showed aerial views of suburbs in Australia, in like major cities, Australia, in London, uh, Germany, and showed the older areas have the biggest tree canopy, but all the newer areas don't, you know. Mm. So um, this is why some of those older suburbs with you know, the real estate value is so high because purely because it's beautiful and cool to walk through a street like that in summer or park your car under a tree, whereas if mm. you go to these suburbs where there's not a lot of tree canopy, you know, it's um, get into your car, it's like jumping into an oven. Mm-hmm. It's not just the shade, it's the, it's the uh, respiration as well of the tree that's perspiring all of these cooler gases and moisture that really cools down a space it's incomparable between a concrete block and a grassy block with a tree yeah definitely so also in the march um a fellow by the name of lloyd godman um he's actually written a three-part series so it actually goes march april may and um in his articles they're, they're three quite different articles but Um, He talks about um, the knowledge of plants, having good knowledge of plants and, um, you know, knowing, you know, if you're designing something, knowing everything you need to know about that plant, not just how it grows but how it's going to fare down down the track. And and so then he moves into... uh, a project that he's worked on called Swarm. And um, so looking at 
at buildings that are in extreme conditions like exposure, extremely hot and looking at plants that will cope moving into climate change. And, of course, he's used tillandsias, whole variety of tillandsias, and, and he's an absolute expert on tillandsias. So that three-part series, I know that's kind of um, a little bit, you know, not just sticking to one magazine at a time, but the three-part series um, I found extremely interesting and um, and it's actually given me ideas in my own property you know because if you're not around a lot and you get summer temperatures you know what's going to cope in these extreme conditions and you're not there to be putting lots of mm. water Talandi is fair work really well um so yeah in very interesting that particular series of articles you've brought them up to me before i know that you really love those because you don't mind a Talandi at the best of times do you oh i actually during covid went absolutely bonkers <laughs> buying Talansias online. Um, I think I've got over 100 different species of them now. Is that right? At your place? Yeah. And I don't do much to them at all, really. Lloyd Mm. had probably, although (laughs) given his his experiment, maybe that's a bit of an experiment of, of, you know, being doing of my own, but probably if I spend a bit more time, you know, uh, nurturing they might even look better but they all they've all fared really well so I really can't complain and mm. I um I'd have to say you know Lloyd has been um very helpful when I've wanted to know a little bit more about particular Talansias. Wonderful. Yeah so let's go through to April. Uh, so of course Lloyd's was in there and also Georgia Warren who we uh who I talked about that did the bod Botany Boot Camp, she submitted an article um, about the Cape in Victoria. It's a, um, a community, a zero emissions housing community, and uh, that's on page 34. So uh, she works for the Sustainable Landscape Company. So that's a project that she, you know, feels uh, very proud, proud of and uh yeah, so they've also got um, two distinct planting types, got native plants for local biodiversity as well as edible plants for food production. So that's a whole uh, community. So uh, for anyone that uh, doesn't know about that, jump online and have a look at uh, the Cape mm. in Victoria. There's also... A really interesting article on page 10, another Botanic Gardens um, article, but it's uh, written by Digby Groans and it's titled The Development of the Blue Kangaroo Paw. So Mm. you know what people are like when, um, you know, they love a particular plant. If a new breed comes out in a different colour, people go a little bit bonkers. Especially blue. Yeah, it's called Masquerade. Masquerade. Great name, isn't it? Yeah, but it's really groundbreaking plant hybridisation. So this is what I was saying earlier about the fabulous things that they do in botanic gardens and plant breeding is certainly one of those things. But uh, if you haven't seen the uh, blue kangaroo pour, I suggest uh, listeners uh, either go online and have a look at it or uh, maybe lash out and buy one. I think they're available in a lot of good garden centres now i think 
and it's at one of the a disease tolerant type, so it's less likely to get the ink spot on the leaves. So, yeah, some terrific work done there by um, Botanic Gardens, and that's at the uh, Kings Park Botanic Gardens in Western Australia in Perth. Which, if you mm-hmm. haven't been there, I highly recommend you go for a visit. Mm. Yeah, no, I still haven't been to Perth yet. Yeah, definitely. As soon as I go to Perth, that's up there. And I think I'm going to have to go to Western Australia in the spring, obviously. Definitely. You know, I still haven't been for a wildflower visit. Mm. And uh, I certainly know that I should be doing it. It's crazy, isn't it? We have this world-renowned, you know, wildflower area in our backyard. And it's just, it may as well be on another planet, though, because it's just so far away, Karen. (laughs) Yeah. I know, but it's not really. It's only three hours on a plane or three and a half, four hours maybe. Depending on which way. Yeah. So, okay. So now let's look at May. And I did mention that article, the three-part one from um, Lloyd Godman. But in the May issue, we have our little own... Daniel Fuller that wrote on the (laughs) chemistry of eucalypts. Yeah, that was a fun one. Yeah, and very interesting. Actually, I should get you to uh, briefly say what what, uh, prompted you to write about eucalypts. Yeah, so I did a a series of three episodes celebrating National Eucalypt Day all throughout March last year. And episode 93, I collaborated with Professor Roz Gledo to talk about the chemistry of eucalypts. And I sort of took a lot of the nuggets from that episode and turned it into an article. So it's, you know, stuff like, okay, so why are eucalypts potentially flammable? What are they, what else are they using those oils for? Are all eucalypts, you know, do all eucalypts benefit from fire? And just basically a bit of what's going under the hood of a eucalypt. And I thought that that was incredibly interesting to hear Professor Roz Gledo talk about it, who's a member of the board for Eucalypt Australia, as well as a professor of plant sciences at Monash University. Mm, there you go. That was a great, a great series and a great podcast too, I might add. Mm, thank you. Um, also in that issue, the May issue, Bruce Thompson, who is a font of knowledge in all things recycling and native plants and you name it, he, he knows it. Anything to do with uh, with the environment and nature, he's he's terrific. But his article was about black soldier flies eating our mm. food waste. And um, so he actually has done a few articles throughout the year. But um, so with the black soldier fly larvae, it converts food waste into stock feed and fertilisers. So that's um, really beneficial. And I think the other article that he has done was in the July issue, so I'm I'm jumping forward there, but it's um, sort of along those lines. And that, that article was called From Food Waste to Soil Food Using Machinery and so how they use food waste digesters and convert food um into soil conditioners or even energy, electricity. So, you know, these are really good environmental articles from an expert and and Bruce I certainly um, consider to be an expert um, mm. in everything he does. He's, he's really um, a font of knowledge. 
and he's a font of passion as well. Like when you just hear him talk, it's just so clear in his mind about what we need to do and, and about what needs to be done. And it's just he knows he, he's done the research, you know, he knows what can be done. He knows what we can't do. And he's, he's been on the uh, podcast a couple of times, once with you in episode 73 about the plastic pot problem. But then more recently, last year in October, he came on for episode 125 for food waste as a resource, which was based on a couple of these articles that you're talking about. Mm. Yeah, he, he's really fabulous. Wait till you see the next issue coming out, the article he's done for that. That's right. Oh, What's he done? I can't let any secrets out oh, there. Oh, you can't. Okay. <laughs> well, this will be released probably this week, so... Yeah. So, um, yeah, he, uh, so keep your eyes open for the February issue because he's actually done a fabulous, um, article all about plastic waste and recycling. Mm. Great. Um, I've just flipped to a page in, in that issue actually, um, because I've actually got a, an image up here of, um, Dan Austin, who's another writer and we'll talk about him in a moment because he produced a book called Off the Garden Path. So there's a little plug for Dan, if anyone, uh, green one, Off the Garden Path, Green Wonders of the World. Um, so, yeah, that was pretty pretty fabulous for Dan. So give him a bit of a plug. What's that book about, Karen? Well, um, Dan has both worked overseas in different countries, but he's also a bit of an intrepid traveller, and so... Everywhere he goes, you know, he's got horticulture in the back of his mind. Of course, working overseas, he's he's worked in like the Solomon Islands and I think he worked in Oman. And uh, so the book, he, he kind of journaled everything that he did. So the book is a little bit about the types of things, horticultural things that you will see when you're off off the garden path. So not necessarily the the big structured gardens that you might go and see if you're travelling to Europe, but, you know, some of the fabulous stuff that you see when you're out there trekking and immersing yourself in nature. So when you say horticultural, do you mean like the in the nature or do you mean just what people are doing in their backyards and stuff like that, like different cultures, you have different practices? Yeah, a bit of both actually. A bit of both. Yeah. yeah, and so he talks about, you know, working there and working, I think in the Solomon Islands he did a lot of work and setting up nurseries and that type of thing as well but I, and I, I remember a particular image in in the book where there's a bridge actually made from roots of trees mm-hmm. you know so they're That's the really sorts cool. of things that you don't <laughs> see every day you know a bridge over yeah. a waterway that's all woven and you know fantastic so yeah he's a very interesting person and um well traveled and and um you know, another excellent horticulturist. So he writes on, Dan writes for the magazine on um, behalf of the International Plant Propagators Society, IPPS. But he's also a university lecturer, you know, a horticultural lecturer at um, uh, in South Australia. So, you know, he's a very, very knowledgeable and experienced horticulturist. Wonderful. So we're going to go back to April. Or are we going on to May? No, we're done with April and we did May. So May was, um, we've done April and May. So now we're going to look at June. And I had a few things, a couple of things picked out for June that I thought were particularly good. 
One, uh, once again, on plant breeding was written by Greg Burke. Now, Greg Burke used to write regularly for Hort Journal uh, for many years, and he, he is an absolute font of knowledge and expert on carnivorous plants. And he's also trekked all over the the globe. Um, he's he's discovered new varieties. He, he's written many books on um, carnivorous plants. He was the president of the Australasian Carnivorous Plant Society for some years. But um, his knowledge, of course, he was also the uh, uh, curator for the Mount Tomar Blue Mountains Botanic Gardens for many years. And um, but plant breeding is a bit of a passion of his and Australian native plants. So he's been delving into um, breeding, doing some some breeding with native plants that people, you know, have sort of written off a little bit and thought, no, no, you can't do that. That's too difficult. So his article was called Aussie Gems, What's Still Out There? There's probably hardly a, you know, square kilometre of Australia that uh, Greg hasn't trekked over in search of plants and and looking for uh, different, you know, what, what's a little bit different. Some of the um, images that he's put in into with that article of uh, Stylidium ameria and some of the Goudinaceae good plants, some acacias and uh, hibertia. So um, he, also, he says in his article that we need to be thinking about the future with a changing climate. Are there plants that we can market as climate-ready so he's been searching mm-hmm. for breeding stock that is more resilient to the extremes of temperature and fluctuations um, in available moisture. So, you know, he's he's looked at plants that are a little bit more resistant to um, disease as well. So, yeah, he's done some interesting things. So that's on uh, pages 16 and 17 of of the June issue. Greg's another one who I've been meaning to get on the podcast, but um, just our timings hasn't lined up, so that, that's a reminder for me to contact him again. Uh, he's a very busy man, and, and he does, uh, as I said, he's always out trekking and, um, you know, in search of plants, So try and, and, and in areas where you wouldn't even be able to contact him with a phone. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, a lovely person. Now, I've moved over now to the July issue, and this is a little bit different, and it's not actually about plants or horticulture as such, but it's written by John Corbin, who's a business coach that's been writing for the magazine for a long time, and he keeps managing to come up every month with a you know a new topic. But this one was actually a two-part series, so it also goes into the um, August edition, and the topic is something that I think we can probably all um, identify with, and that the, the title is identifying and managing difficult clients. So um, <laughs> you know whether whether you're self-employed or work for a business. Um, I know we've all had, I know I've had my fair share of of managing uh, difficult uh, clients in some jobs, and it's pretty tough. So the more uh, you can equip yourself with. Um, knowledge on how to diffic- how to cope with them, it's well worth it. So I highly recommend John's article. They're usually fairly short, so an easy read and quick to read, but um, he usually hits the nail on the head. So, um, yeah, looked into the July one. 
that's something as well that not just business owners can relate with. Anyone who's working on the tools and who's had to face a customer before knows, you know, sometimes it doesn't go your way, let's say, or sometimes there are unreasonable requests and it's all about learning how to communicate with people in an effective manner, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. So what were a couple of tips that he had? Um, well, starting out, when you're um, first interviewing your client, you you need to be very clear and precise on what p- people's expectations are. Um, take the time to qualify every client properly. He says it's worth taking extra time over the phone initially to understand if they fit into your best or second best client job profile. Ask as many questions as you can to get a better idea of how this prospect communicates, what they expect and what they intend to spend. Uh, If people are starting to get really niggly in those initial stages about everything, um, it could be a bit of a, a warning sign. So he actually talks about, you know, what are the warning signs um, if they keep changing their mind and they're, you know. My wife's a graphic designer and this is one she used to get a lot when she used to do sort of business-to-business stuff was um, just whatever you think is fine. And then <laughs> so you go and do oh. it and then they, go, then they say, that's not what I had in mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, being really clear about Everything. So that's where asking a lot of questions comes in because the more questions you ask them, they can't say, oh, but you didn't say that, Mm. you know. And you signed it right here. See, here's your signature. This is what we agreed upon. Yeah. Remember? And also there needs to be some sort of a a time frame that if it goes over or, you know, a a quote written into your quote that, um, you know, if things change that the cost will change as well. Mm. So John came on the podcast as well for episode 87, Landscape Business Coaching, for anyone who'd like to listen to that one as well. Yes. He also says about keeping them informed for regular progress payments. So, you know, um, like say, for example, if the job's going to take three weeks and you've got staff to play, because John tends to focus more on the landscape sector. Hmm. He's actually called the landscape coach. So, you know, telling people up front, okay, well, at the end of week one, you have to pay X amount and at end of week two, X amount and then the final payment is due on the date of completion or whatever. Mm. So, um, yeah, making sure that you present the quote and the payment schedule and the contract. So um, he talks about people who refuse to pay an invoice and, you know, make sure that your last payment's a smaller one so that, you know, you've, you're sort of not leaving, you know, don't just leave it for the whole payment at the end. If you don't get mm. those progress payments and they get a bit sticky towards the end, then you, you could end up well and truly out of pocket. So, look, I think, you know, myself having um, done some courses in dealing with difficult customers, communication is everything, you know, you know making sure that you discuss absolutely Every single thing, make sure you cross the T's and dot the I's. So, yeah, so that was good. Now, also in the July issue, I have actually mentioned earlier that um, about Bruce Thompson had an article in there and that was um, also on the um, the converting of the soil uh, food waste into uh, soil conditioner or electricity. Um, 
and also one of um, Michael Casey's was in there as well, the green of the street, the green of the asset. So that was also in July. Okay, we're up to August now. We're uh, August. heading to the second part of the year and um, one of my absolute, um, f- well, I shouldn't say favourites, but um, a person whose articles I look forward to receiving every month is Dennis Crawford because Dennis is an entomologist and you've interviewed him as well. Yes. In the um, August edition, he actually talks about the impact of varroa mite, which is the mite that affects bees, and I know that was a uh, a huge um, area of concern for people because for a long time it hadn't gotten into Australia, but now it's finally landed, so um, it was very timely that he did that. But look, Dennis, um, you know, he, he's a lovely writer. He's also produced a couple of books and one that probably most people have. Garden Pests, Diseases and Good Bugs or something along those lines, if yeah, I'm not mistaken. that's the one. Garden Pests, Diseases and Good Bugs and it's an absolutely fabulous book. Dennis is also a scientific photographer, so he supplies all his own images and they're fantastic. He's actually won awards for his photography and um, mm. so, you know, we feel very privileged to have Dennis as a writer and he's been with the magazine since it started. Since 2008, every month coming up with a new <laughs> topic. Um, so I might just jump ahead uh, in that Dennis also had a, a great article in the November and December issue. In November it was Alternatives to Pesticides so looking at things that can be done mm. not just with uh, integrated pest management but a whole range of things and also the dangers of monoculture was in the December issue. So mm. I have to say that they are three of, you know, his articles that I, I thought were fabulous. So You mentioned as well that he's won a few awards. He also won one very recently at the Australian Institute of Horticulture. I, I forget which award he won. Was it the Silver Waddle or something? Um, he won one of them. Anyway, congratulations to Dennis. Yes, yes. Well deserved. Very worthy recipient. Well, actually, Dan Austin won an award at the same night because I've got a photo of the two of them. Mm. So, yeah, um, fantastic. Okay, so moving on now to the uh, – oh, actually, we're still on August and um, – Another two-part article by Clive Larkman. Mm, Another guest of the show. Yeah. So Clive has also been writing for the magazine since it began. And I reckon this particular article, because Clive normally writes about, you know, different plant types. Clive's a botanist and, you know, he he grows a, a million different varieties of plants at his Larkman nurseries. But this one is about pet edibles and he talks about, you know, this untapped market for horticulturists of growing plants for for their pets instead of, you know, opening uh-huh. up the can of Lucky Dog or whatever it is, pal. <laughs> you know, that there's different things that you can incorporate and, and just looking at, um, at, at the article in the August issue, 
we've put there's four different little labels in there. There's parrot salad, lizard salad, guinea pig salad, cat grass. So mm. here is a market that's worth because you know what people are like with pets. Some people spend more on their pets than they do on themselves. So what a what an opportunity for for horticulturists or for growers to be um, producing plants mm. for the pet food industry. Amazing. Absolutely, yeah. So I, think, I mean, um, like I buy cat grass. I mean, my cat doesn't really eat catnip, but if she did, I'd be buying that as well. Yeah. So, you know, um, Clive's funny because, you know, he'll often in his articles he'll write about a particular herb and then he'll include a recipe and, you know, he's, he's got quite a broad um, knowledge of all things edible. That's what Clive was saying to you and I in episode 71. It's sort of how he's passionate about connecting the consumer with, you know, it's not about giving them a product, it's about giving them an experience. So he'll go to great lengths about explaining about how you can cook this herb. It's not just about, you know, how to grow the herb. Yes, that's important, but it's also about what what can you do with it? What stories can you tell about this herb to your friends when you're sitting around the dinner table? Is it an interesting herb, you know, historically? Yeah. Well, you've only got to look at the Renaissance herbs, which Clive's involved in. The labelling is fantastic. The information on the labelling mm. is fantastic. So, yeah, it's a, you know, it, it's a clever marketing um, technique as well. So mm. well done on that, Clive. Okay. So now we are moving on to September. So we're into spring now. If you haven't pruned your roses, it's too late. (laughs) (laughs) So obviously um, part two of Clive's articles in there, it was about pet diets, that one. So if you want to, you know, follow up on that, that's all there. There's a really good um, article on page 14 supplied by Hort Innovation, a collaborative approach for pest and disease management. So you can probably even go on and do a little bit more research on that. But, you know, pest and disease management for nurseries in particular is a huge concern. Mm. Um, Dan Austin, again, wrote a fabulous um, article on inspecting your investment, what to look for when buying trees. So, um, you know, it's more than just going out and, and um, or choosing a particular tree because it looks nice you know you need to um, be sure that it's been grown well especially if you're installing you know in a business and you're going to install you know 20 advanced trees you you want to make sure if you're spending big dollars on them that they're they're grown to the tree standards and and that sort of thing so Mm -hmm. um, there was a bit of a feature on trees because Gabrielle Stannis also gave some tips for landscape designers in that issue Shout out to Gabby. Yeah, shout out to Gabby because now uh, Gabby's moved on and she's writing on landscape rather than interior landscape. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that was when you started writing all about your horticultural careers as well. Was that only that recently, was it? September. Well, I know you've probably done them before then, but I just saw that there. Horticultural careers, new industry job board is a game changer. Hmm. It is. It is a game changer. Hortpeople.com for anybody who is looking for a horticulture job. Definitely. Um, October, 
Oh, we've come back to Dan Austin again, Saving the Queen of Sheba, a conservation success story. Uh, so uh, he goes to southwestern southwestern Australia because, you know, it's, it's such a, a diverse range of um, plants in that particular area. I think, I think southwestern Western Australia has the largest diversity of plants in the world, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but he, uh, the Queen of Sheba is Thelemetra speciosa, and uh, he talks about the uh, the work that was done in saving that particular plant. There's several different species that occur in Western Australia, and they are protected because they're at risk with land clearance, and you know people trampling over them and, and poaching. But Kings Park Botanic Gardens there have also, you know, the, so that's, you know, he's interviewed them about it and what they did to um, to save it. And now they're propagating it and, uh, you know, they've got seedlings in the hundreds. So, you know, virtually taking a, a plant that was on the brink of extinction and, and um, bringing it back, so to speak. Mm. Okay, also in the October issue, and this is a, a one-off contributor actually, uh, a person by the name of Scott H. Smith, who I think you have interviewed. Yes, he actually has his own segment on my podcast now as well, Hort Skills. Oh, it must be something about these Smith people. <laughs> no, I've also got Dr. Ian Smith as another host. Yeah. So we're just missing you now, Karen. Yeah. So, okay, so Scott Smith wrote an article called A New Era for Horticulture, Monocot Grafting Made Possible. Astounding. Astounding, definitely astounding um, because up until now people have never grafted monocot. So he actually has a very detailed article on um, on that and I have to say I think it got a lot of hits on the online edition on our website and uh, so he talks about grafting banana trees. So I'm sure there'd be a lot of plant breeders out there very keen to uh, read that article uh, that Scott uh, submitted. So that's on page 32 and 33 of the October issue. So dicots have been grafted in various ways throughout history. On the other hand, monocots have been widely believed to be impossible to graft using any method so um yeah he he actually explains how to do that and it's such a big article i'm not even going to attempt to (laughs) read any of that out but um yeah there's a lot of uh, possibilities um with this application so i hope that uh you know gets a bit of traction from that article and and that uh, plant breeders benefit from it yeah, it's a new frontier. It's a wild world, isn't it? Sure is. All right, we're nearly there. We're up to November and um, I have to give a plug for our John Fitzsimmons. John also has been with the magazine since uh, it started and he usually does a feature. John has a wealth of information, experience and knowledge. He's been the editor of many magazines Um and uh, he, you know, has a degree in agriculture, but also as a journalist. So he's uh, he's got a pretty diverse range of skills. So I asked him if he would do a feature on education and training. And 
and I feel very strongly about this particular topic myself. The, the article is called Vocational Training, Where Are We and How Did We Get Here? Because, you know, you hear a lot of talk about courses being dumbed down and the government cutbacks and, you know, how did all this happen? Because at the same time, we're talking about skills shortages. So, you know, he um, interviewed quite a few people, but uh, interestingly, he also interviewed the Australian Education Union Federal TAFE Secretary and General Secretary of the New South Wales Teachers Federation, Maxine Sharkey. And uh, she has been a teacher, of course, herself and, and involved in the union. So it was really interesting to get that other story. So, you know, we hear a lot of people saying, um, oh, this has happened, it's terrible. But she was able to actually give him some information about how it all happened and uh, it was a really um, interesting article. In fact, it, it covers four pages, six, seven, eight and nine. So if you're interested about the future of uh, horticulture and the education and training in that area, I highly recommend that, that people read it because it affects all of our lifestyles and, um, and our industry and we'd like to see it get back to what it has been in the past so um and and to see the government put a bit more money back into you know they stripped TAFE bare and uh, it's uh, so it was interesting to get her perspective and he he did a fabulous job and I actually spoke to her afterwards and she she said what a great interviewer he was mm. so so that was really good yeah it's good to get messages like that out yeah definitely and uh, also I did talk earlier in that November issue, Dennis's article on alternatives to pesticides. So now we're up to the lucky last edition of the year, the December issue. Um, I also mentioned earlier that Dennis wrote the uh, article on um, the dangers of monocultures and uh, that is on... So it's the December-January issue... And the December-January issue is one issue. Yes, 11 issues a year. So, Karen, what's the favourite article that you've written for the magazine as the editor? Well, generally I only tend to write about events that I go to and um, I wrote actually in the December issue uh, a conference with a difference because I'd recently attended the Australian Institute of Horticulture conference which you did too and uh, so I always benefit a lot from attending those conferences in in lots of ways so it's always nice to write about it and try and encourage other people to realize what they've missed out on by not attending Mm -hmm. of course everyone can't go to every conference but um, as you would have found out on that attending that conference the networking is invaluable and especially for some one like yourself, a younger person, you know, that's still got their whole career ahead of them. The connections that you make on these conferences is you can't put a dollar value on it. It's not even just about the connections. It's what you learn from those people. You know, everyone has their own ideas about things and, and you know, you might not agree with everything that everybody says, but, um you know, listening to some of the speakers at the conference that are passionate about what they do and, and of course, we were there for the awards as well and to see the 
the people that receive those awards and the recognition that they get, it, you know, we have to document that and, yeah, and, and, and share that joy that, that they receive from winning the awards. So um, you mentioned earlier about who won particular awards and it's all written down in there. So, you know, they sort of get their name up in lights for a little, a little bit for an issue. So, um, but I, I find it a privilege to go to those things and then share my experience of it in the magazine, I suppose. And then, you know, we come to the end of the year and it's December and you go down in a heap because it's been a busy year and, you know, producing a magazine every month is pretty full on and um, I, I often say to people one thing that I've I've learnt since I started with the magazine is how to be a really effective nagger because I'm forever chasing people and, you know, interrupting their life and saying, come on, your article's due. You would never do that to me though, would you? No, no, never, because you're so efficient, you get your articles in on time. Yeah, so, um, you know, it has been a really good year and, you know, I can't thank enough all those contributors and, and the effort that they make and in contributing to a magazine for our industry so that we sort of, you know, we get a lot of, cover a lot of different areas of um, horticulture and landscape and green infrastructure and conservation and a little bit of you know, that type of thing. So, yeah, it's really quite a privilege to do it. I think you're absolutely right and I think it is a privilege and it's also necessary for our industry. Like there's only one monthly horticulture industry magazine within our country. It's the Hort Journal, Hort Journal Australia. We have the Australian Institute of Horticulture release um, their own magazine sporadically, you know, and that's only online. You don't get the physical copy of that at this stage. Um yeah, we really need the Hort Journal magazine within our industry. So I would urge anyone who's listening to this, by, by, if you're still listening to this by now, you must be interested. So just go on, check out the show notes and go and subscribe to the Hort Journal Australia magazine. Well done. Well said. What about you, Karen? Anything else you'd like the listeners to know about? Um, well, yes, just... You know, try and be as green friendly as you can within your everyday lifestyle. You know, we've talked about Bruce Thompson and the plastics recycling and everything, but, you know, I'm an ocean lover as well and I hate to see Mm. all that rubbish in our ocean. So think about where you're throwing things. You know what really annoys me? Now, here's something that gets my ghoulies a bit. (laughs) You know on TV shows and you see someone have a cigarette and then they just throw it and walk away? Yep. That really annoys me. So (laughs) to all... To all the smokers out there, I know many of you do the right thing, but I do see a lot of butts under the water and I don't mean of the flesh variety. (laughs) Yeah, so put it out on the concrete, then put it in a bin when it's not smoking anymore. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Thanks for another great chat, Karen. Appreciate your time. All right. Thank you. Thanks very much and Happy New Year. If you'd like to read any of the articles discussed, subscribe to Hort Journal Australia via the links in the show notes or just Google Hort Journal. You'll catch my horticulture careers column and most of the people we've spoken about today write their own regular column on a topic they're passionate and knowledgeable about. Not only will you have the choice of receiving the monthly print magazine, but you'll also be able to read back issues that you missed. If you're ready to take the next step in your horticulture career, head to hortpeople.com Click Job Seekers in the top menu, then click Post a Resume and upload your CV. Tell employers the exact sort of job you'd absolutely love to get. And be honest, 
because you never know who's going to offer you your dream job. 